So uh, last week, I talked about uh, faith or uh, trust or confidence. And I mentioned that it's the first of uh, five factors, five faculties, which can be seen as the uh, grammar of uh, meditation practice. It's kind of this kind of the stuff that which uh, often meditation teachers in Southeast Asia will use um, to measure how someone's doing in the meditation practice. They'll look at these five faculties, five potentials, these five capacities that we have and see how they're coming into play in order to help with the meditation practice. And if one of them is imbalanced, they'll try to bring it into balance. If one is lacking or one is too strong, they'll try to make an adjustment for it. And these five capacities that uh, we all have is the capacity for confidence or trust, is the first one. The second one is the capacity for, um, for um, energy, to um, make effort. The third is the capacity for noticing what's going on, that of mindfulness. The fourth is that of concentration, of stabilizing the mind, getting it concentrated, focused, um, set on what you want to pay attention to. And the fifth is a discernment or wisdom, the capacity to be discerning about what our experience is in a way that's useful for the meditation practice. And it's been said that in all human endeavors, that these five capacities, five faculties, in some way or other come into play with those endeavors. And it doesn't have to be applied only to meditation practice. But the Buddha took these five and applied it to meditation practice in order to help the particular endeavor, the particular activity of meditation practice. There's a classic teaching that these five uh, are sequential. They don't have to be. There's also classic teaching that they all arise together and interplay with each other. But in the sequential model, it's you start with faith or confidence or trust. And with that, that gives you the inspiration then to want to apply effort or inspiration to make effort. And so effort arises out of trust or confidence. And that often happens in daily activities that the more inspiration, more confidence you have in some endeavor, the more likely you are to put good effort into it, good energy into it. So it's often said very important then to have a good foundation of confidence, of trust, of faith for uh, your meditation practice. Today what I want to do is talk a little bit about the second factor uh, of energy in practice, the capacity, the faculty of energy. And I find that uh, in thinking about it today that uh, it's a difficult subject for me to talk about. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe other people it's easy to talk about. And uh, the first time I taught a class on what's called the Eightfold uh, Path, the kind of classic Buddhist teachings of the Buddhist path, one of those eight aspects of the path is called right energy. So I did a, eight, or did a series over many weeks, I don't know how many weeks, um, and um, I skipped right effort <laughs> in, intentionally. I just didn't want to, I just somehow didn't want to touch it because I didn't quite know how to talk about it or I didn't know how to relate to it or um, in terms of talking. I had made, uh, and I make, a lot of effort in my meditation practice. When I've been on retreat, I've made sometimes phenomenal amount of energy and effort in practice. So it's something I love doing. The effort part, the energy part, the engagement part with practice is something which I have a tremendous love and 
appreciation for doing. Sometimes it's really fun. Sometimes it's not. But, but you know, it's something that I really like doing. And, um, and it was odd, you know, that I didn't know how to talk about it. I couldn't find how to talk about it. Um, and I feel like I'm still trying to find my way in talking about it. It seems like maybe an odd thing for, for me to say since making effort or energy is, you know, like pretty basic. If you want to sit down to do a spiritual practice, you, you have to apply yourself. Um, you know, if you get a... Someone gave me the analogy recently of... of um, you, know, you can get a lot... You can go to the library or a bookstore and get books on exercise and you can stay home and read them <laughs> and read them and read them. And that's very nice. I, I, I suppose they can be captivating. They have nice photos and stuff. But sooner or later, you know, you have to do it. You have to make the effort uh, to actually apply yourself. You might be getting good reading skills by do, reading that, but, you know, the exercise books are not usually about that. So sooner or later, you, have, you go to the restaurant, you can't just study the menu. You have to order the food also. So effort is really central to this whole thing I'm trying to teach when I teach mindfulness. So it's a little bit embarrassing to say I don't know exactly what it is or how to talk about it. So is that a, with that as an introduction... We'll try here today. And I'll say also, uh, there's, there's different words in the Pali tradition, teachings of the Buddha, that overlap with each other, that kind of belong to this general category of words, meaning effort. There are words uh, for um, um, effort. There's a word for energy. There's a word for endeavoring. There's a word that's sometimes translated as persistence. Uh, there's a word power. There's a lot of different words that kind of fit into that Category and they have nuances of meaning, but they overlap quite a bit also. And sometimes when Buddhist teachers or texts talk, they slide into each other the different meanings of it. I want to give you one example from uh, the discourses of the Buddha, a passage which is repeated uh, various places in his discourses. They give you a flavor of how um, important effort or energy is. And you can find many other passages that are similar. A monk generates desire, strives, initiates strength, takes hold of his mind, and endeavors. That's a very energetic thing. It's kind of active, you know. So generates desire. Um, the word is chanda, for those of you who know it. And some people think that Buddhists aren't supposed to have desire. But in the teachings of the Buddha, there were certain desires that the Buddha saw as being problematic. Certain desires which lead to suffering. But there are other desires which are quite beneficial to have. And there's no, they don't lead to suffering. They don't lead to delusion or uh, inappropriate way of living. In fact, certain kinds of desires are considered very wholesome and helpful for the spiritual path. Being able to differ- differentiate between those two is a very important part of Buddhist practice. Um, and in order to apply effort in the spiritual life, that um, there has to be a certain kind of desire. And so the monk generates, the practitioner generates a certain kind of desire, a certain kind of aspiration, maybe some people would like, a certain kind of sense of purpose, a sense of um, uh, dedication, sense of, of, you know, there's something that's really, they want to do here. A kind of healthy sense of desire. Even if the desire is to have no desires at all, uh, that's still a little bit of a desire. Some people like to pursue that very energetically. I'm going to sit here and have no desires at all. And then they let go of all desires except for that one until that's the last one. And then they kind of do that one. They wait wait until the last bit. Um, and the idea of striving is something also that's often not appreciated very much. 
uh, in sometimes meditation circles because striving will often give you a headache. But uh, striving is, is a word the Buddha seems to have used. And striving has, uh, is not meant to be a, 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 something that's headache-producing or self-centered or kind of, kind of pushy or kind of very willful. But striving, I think, means something uh, very... Um, um, Something you do with great zeal, or great dedication, or great enthusiasm. Yes, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to make an effort here and really pursue this. And then in here the translation is initiate strength. The word is virya. And uh, it initiates this very strong kind of energy. Um, arouses energy in order to then engage in this particular endeavor. Um, in, the, in the discourse on the, great, on the four foundations of mindfulness, the Buddha talks similarly about making effort. And he talk, uses, there he uses the word that's translated into English as ardent. And those of you who know Sanskrit or Pali, the word is tapa, tapas. She sometimes has this feeling of fire, the priory energy or fire. And um, so this being ardent is the uh, usual English translation. Uh, to be ardent in your practice. So in the ancient times, at least, there was a lot of effort, a lot of emphasis on making a lot of effort. And the word virya, which is word used for energy, is a cognate to the word vira, which means um, hero or warrior. And so the idea is to make heroic effort or kind of be like a warrior in your, in your spiritual practice. And uh, some of you might have met a, a great practitioners like Upandita or someone who uh, really has the warrior approach to practice. And I've noticed that at, uh, among my colleagues, the Vipassana teachers, at Spirit Rock and elsewhere, um, there's a phenomena where um, the only ones who seem to talk about making uh, warrior-like effort in your practice are the women teachers. So I'll leave that for you to kind of sort through. <laughs> um, but uh, they're certainly in line with uh, the way that the tradition talks about really kind of putting your, putting your wholehearted effort uh, into the practice. So I would go venture. I would go on, go on to say that there is no spiritual life without effort, without uh, some kind of effort, some application, some engagement, something we do. Um, if you just you know we're not going to if you're just going there's a there's a phenomena called bedside uh, night nightstand Buddhists, and um, you know it's probably good, but it's like you know the exercise book. So um, one aspect of this constellation of things called, I'm calling effort or energy, is the energy factor itself. And energy is something which has, um, uh, can vary from, from hour to hour, from day to day, from month to month, vary depending on many different things. Our health, our, you know, how busy we are. It can also vary based on psychological factors, our attitude. When we feel discouraged by something, sometimes our energy drains out of us. And sometimes it's, uh, our energy can turn very quickly um, one direction or the other. Uh, suddenly, um, you know, something really marvelous walks through the door and suddenly you find yourself all the energy you ever needed. Um, or something really terrible happens or, you, you know, you get a phone call that says, uh, phone calls that says, you know, can you please come and, you know, um, we need someone to scrub the walls of IMC in the outside and, and you've been volunteered. And then, um, you know, maybe energy kind of, maybe you feel enthusiastic about that. And, but I can imagine, you know, I remember when I was a kid often having my energy level drop dramatically when I was asked to do certain things. Energy has a certain kind of, the energy in the system is sometimes something 
is affected by psychology. It's also affected by um, our other activities. You know, if we exercise a lot and keep our body in good shape, there's often a good energy that's available to us in the body, in the system, kind of coursing through us. And uh, sometimes if we've overeaten or we've just been staying up late or locked or just kind of wear, wear ourselves down, we don't have the physical energy, the vibration, the vitality uh, that's available to apply in, in different directions. So one of the aspects of energy in practice is we need to have, it's important, it's very helpful to have a good energy, good vitality. And, um, and so we take care of ourselves in all kinds of ways to have that in place. We get enough sleep. Americans are said to be a sleep-deprived culture. I think some Americans need to sleep more than they need to meditate. Maybe some of you need to sleep more than you need to meditate. And um, some people need to um, exercise more. And some people are trying to have meditation help them in their lives. But they just simply don't have good energy in their system to really get a lot of benefit from meditation. And they're better off doing some exercise first. Um, maybe I don't know, all kinds of things what that, might, what that might mean but they need to get the, uh, uh, the bo- their body back into balance to have a balanced good form of energy to help their meditation practice uh, be successful be useful um, the Buddha didn't teach exercise program you know like you know push ups and sit ups and you know tai chi or whatever um, but I think that if you lived in modern day America you probably have like a ninefold path, you know, and probably then, you know, the ninth or somewhere in there would be right exercise. <laughs> the, uh, but, you know, the Buddha, he didn't need that because he spent all his time walking, not all his time, but he walked a lot. He walked long distances. He walked every day. He did a lot of walking meditation. I think when you walk a lot, walking itself is a wonderful uh, vitalizing uh, exercise that kind of keeps the body toned and, and going well. I learned recently, uh, someone told me that um, Ajahn Mun, who is um, uh, you know, one of the great exemplary monks, of uh, uh, Thai monks who kind of started the whole lineage of Thai Buddhism, very, very important uh, meditator, meditation master, who spent a lot and a lot of his time meditating, even as an accomplished master. And um, apparently he's, he spent something like... Um, uh, Four, I figure exactly the numbers now, so don't take me literally. But he spent something like uh, twice or three times as much every day doing walking meditation as he did doing sitting meditation. So if you do that much walking meditation, it kind of keeps your, your body in good shape. So to, to somehow ensure that you have a good foundation of energy in your system so you can come to meditate, you have that available to you, to us. I've noticed a phenomena, which again, it's just maybe it's anecdotal rather than real. But um, um, 50, 60, 70 years ago, there was a stronger tendency when people had, when their backs were out or people were sick or something, people had the attitude, oh, uh, you have to kind of strengthen yourself, build yourself up. And then I noticed kind of in my generation, kind of like, you know, when I was younger, you know, when people's back went out, you know, tendency, just go rest. And there's, a, there's a, I don't know if this characterizes different generations or different approaches to different eras of our, of our, of our you know, society. But um, some people's focus when things are not going well, when they're stressed out or when they're feeling weak, um, is to rest. But actually what's better done sometimes is to build up strength, is to be act- active. 
um, my wife had a shoulder injury for a while. And she did a lot of different things, including resting it and various things. And nothing helped until someone told her she had to exercise it. <laughs> and that was kind of counterintuitive. And so she exercised it, and that made all the difference for her. So sometimes, you know, we feel kind of lousy and depressed and bad. The tendency is just to kind of rest and kind of not do anything and lay really low. And what's called on is to do something very active to bring the energy up in the system so that uh, the whole psychophysical system is a more useful instrument for, um, well, certainly for meditation practice, but maybe for many other things also. And the energy that's available to us, um, there's a certain way in which energy feeds on itself or grows on itself, develops with itself. As we apply energy, in some sense, it also kind of generates energy. And I've seen that in meditation practice where I've been sleepy or sleeping in meditation or kind of, you know, collapsing my posture. And I keep putting effort and keep putting effort in. And at some point, that effort begins to kick back and the effort kind of gets aroused and awakened and, and kind of develops in a beautiful way. And that energy that kind of, can sometimes it becomes kind of crystalline or pure or beautiful. The effort of, the energy that's available for practice. And you can kind of feel your whole body kind of um, come alive. Um, um, you know, I wouldn't call it exactly relaxed. But I wouldn't call it tense. It's kind of energized in a wonderful, clear, restful way. Um, and I think that uh, some people who associate meditation with becoming calm and relaxed sometimes miss the value of meditation uh, that goes beyond relaxation to developing kind of alert energy uh, that, um, that um, is one of the most satisfying things I know, much more satisfying than being relaxed. So there's energy that's important in meditation and, and ensuring we have the right kind of energy. Then there's the issue of where we apply the energy. You know, it's one thing to have energy. It's something else what we do with that energy. And so that belongs to the category of effort, the kind of efforts we make with that energy. And the Buddha talked about four great efforts to, to make. And these, again, can be applied to any activity that we do. If you have something you want to pursue, you want, there's four things you, you probably do without thinking you're doing it, without you know, thinking, thinking along these categories. But first, first thing maybe you're concerned with is avoiding doing those things which get in the way of your purpose. The second is you try to avoid um, the appearance or the arising of things which we could get in the way. The third uh, in this list is you try to uh, maintain or support or enhance those things which are helping you with your purpose. And then the fourth is you try to um, arouse things which could help you in your endeavors but are not present right now. Follow those things, those four? And uh, in a very simplified uh, formula that's given, they are... Um, abandoning, preventing, supporting, and arousing. Those are the four kind of efforts. We, uh, we try to abandon those things which get in the way. We try to prevent the arising of things which get in the way but haven't arisen. We try to support and enhance those things which are there which are helpful. And we try to arouse those things which have not yet arisen but which... Um, you know, could be really helpful for us. 
So the so if the purpose that we're engaged in is to wake up, is to get concentrated, is to practice mindfulness, those four efforts apply there also. We try to let go of those things which get in the way. So we might want to let go of a tendency to move our body a lot. Uh, sometimes if you move your body a lot, fidget a lot in meditation, it's actually uh, hard to develop a deep, stable, concentrated mind. So you let go of that because that seems to get in the way. Or you notice that um, if you spend a lot of time thinking about certain things, say you're, you're reviewing over and over and over, over again uh, how are you going to get a patent on uh, your wonderful invention on collapsible, collapsible automobiles. People think about the most amazing inventions in meditation. And so you have this wonderful, you know, it's not a very useful train of thought to think about patents for collapsible cars, unless you're, you know, I don't know what. But, um, so you learn, oh, that's not very useful. I'm trying to wake up and be present. I think I need to let go of this train of thought. This train of thought, if I keep following this train of thought, it's not conducive and helpful. Certain, certain attitudes um, are not very useful and helpful. And so we learn to let go of it. So the, the process of letting go or abandoning, it can be a very wise part of any activity, but certainly of any spiritual activity. Knowing what, what wisely let go of because it doesn't serve us. And then arousing things, uh, uh, they're trying to prevent things from arising, detract, but which has not yet arisen. So you might have learned from experience that certain kind of things that you do end up standing in your way. So for example, say you meditate um, in the morning and um, you really like meditating in the morning, but you also really like reading the newspaper. And so the newspaper wins out first, right? So you get, first thing, you get, jump out of bed, you're all excited, you run out, get the newspaper, and just like the best thing, right? You open it up and you read the paper and, um, and it's wonderful, or not. And then you go meditate and your mind is filled with images and ideas and thoughts and opinions and judgments and maybe fear and anger and delight or whatever, you know, might be coming out of the newspaper. And you notice that, that when your mind is filled by those images and, impulse and reactions from the newspaper, it's very hard to sit down and get concentrated. So you know, oh, if I'm going to be a good meditator, I think I need to read the newspaper after I meditate, not before, to prevent the arising of things which, which get in the way of getting concentrated. The third one, the effort to support things which are helpful, that are already here, I think that one of the things that's very helpful in spiritual life is to begin appreciating the good qualities, the good activities, the good uh, mental states, the good attitudes, the good intentions that we already have. There's often a lot of goodness within us, a lot of helpful qualities here that we often will overlook and not appreciate deeply enough. I think human beings, uh, at least the ones I know, for the most part, seem to have an amazing capacity to be selective in their appreciation or their, their disdain or their criticalness. And, you know, there could be 90... Like my son, my little six-year-old son, you know, he's going to suffer some in his life, I think, because he has this amazing ability to spend... to have a three- or four-hour play date. And everyone's going... He's having a time of his life, running around, you know, just everything. 
And then near the end, usually at the end when they're tired, they, um, something goes wrong. The, the kids kind of like, you know, do something a little snide or a little mean to each other. And he will latch on to that particular thing and forget the four hours earlier having the time of his life. Oh, that was a terrible play date. You know, just you know, two minutes of the little fight they had over something. You know, it's very selective. And I think what's helpful in a spiritual life is not to put, uh, we don't want to put blinders on things which are not working or things that are off or unwholesome or unskillful. But I think it's actually very helpful to um, develop a, a habit of appreciating that which is already here, which is beautiful, that is wonderful, that's already working. And my suggestion to you, to you is there's probably a lot more that's working, a lot more to appreciate than probably already that, you, that you're doing so far. So if you take that challenge of mine, you will just you know go and look. You know what is it to be appreciated right here? So then support and enhance that which is already uh, wonderful that's happening here. And then if you notice that things, something could be helpful, and it's not here already, then arouse it, cultivate it. I've no, I know sometimes when I sit down to meditate that my mind is not very not concentrated. Sometimes I decide that the wisest thing for me to do is to sharpen up my concentration, to arouse it and, make it and bring it up so that I can have a more useful mind, so the mind can focus and look and be engaged in activity in, in a more useful way. And so sometimes I'll do, do particular practices that arouses my concentration when it needs to be there. Sometimes I'll do practices that arouses uh, loving kindness if I feel like more kindness would be good in the system. Sometimes I'll do practices to arouse uh, my energy because I feel the energy needs to be there. Sometimes I'll, I'll do practices which are more relaxing and calming. If I feel tense or feel too energized or restless or something, I'll do certain things which are relaxing. Because I think, feel like I need to arouse that factor in order to bring the body and mind into a certain kind of balance so that it's useful uh, to engage in the practice of mindfulness and meditation. So those are called the four great efforts. And they apply to any activity. Uh, and they apply to spiritual life and to meditation practice. One of the reasons why um, I was hesitant to talk about effort in the past is that um, I had the idea that effort, uh, my idea of effort, uh, in in my definition of it, uh, seemed to imply something about um, self-centered effort or manipulative effort or effort to um, uh, somehow um, uh, get something to manufacture or create something in the future that was not part of what was already here. And a huge part of my meditation practice over the decades that I've done it has been and continues to be practicing an acceptance of what is already here. And it's a non-acceptance of what's here which often causes a lot of suffering for people. And it's very radical to practice Acceptance. It can pull the rug from underneath a lot of our difficulties in life and we just begin practicing acceptance. And so for me, given who I was, that was a very, very important practice to practice unconditional acceptance of this moment here. And so then I was confused between radical acceptance of this moment, being mindful of this moment as it actually is, and effort, which seemed like it didn't involve that kind of acceptance. It was like pushing or trying to make something happen. Or, However, when I try to practice this radical acceptance of the present moment, 
I used to practice it, practice it with great enthusiasm. I remember the story, you know, when, when um, I, don't, I don't want to tell you stories. Sometimes I would be kind of like on fire, like it was like the most important, most passionate thing I had in my life to do was to sit down and totally see if I could completely and fully accept this moment just as it was, without trying to push it away, without trying to make it different, without trying to hold on to it, just this open, balanced awareness, just here. And maybe it sounds like a paradox to to talk about making kind of almost heroic effort to be uh, totally accepting of this moment here. And sometimes I know, like when my mind is really scattered, in order for me to uh, be completely accepting of this moment here, I have to really work on my concentration. I have to somehow really make strong, strong efforts, like on my breath, kind of stay there. Uh, the more, con- more distracted the mind is, the greater the counterforce is needed to work against that or to balance that sometimes. And so to really kind of hold that mind, it feels like sometimes physical labor to kind of be there, be there, be there, be there. And uh, that seems a little bit antithetic, antithetical to the whole meditation process to make kind of this strong, strong effort. Isn't it all about being relaxed? But there are times when really strong effort is needed. When I sat with a lot of uh, physical discomfort in my meditation practice, the practice of radically accepting, unconditionally accepting the present moment with its pain required a tremendous effort. You know, to really apply myself, to stay there, stay there, stay there, because the mind was so powerfully conditioned to recoil from that. And so I had to kind of work with that, stay, stay, stay. Now, effort... The other thing I was thinking about today, about effort, is um, sometimes in play, human beings apply a lot of effort. If you go to a playground and watch those kids, and then if you try to mimic the kids, like follow right behind them and do exactly what they're doing, you would be wiped out, you know, very quickly. And they're saying, they're saying, Daddy, Daddy, come, come. But play often has, you know, can you put a lot of effort. You know, you play volleyball or something, a lot of effort goes into it. Effort can be really fun. Effort is not something to be thought of as, as a problem or as, 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 a, uh, as a hindrance or something to, uh, to hesitate to be engaged in. I think the task in meditation, one of the tasks, is to make effort to apply ourselves in a way that's healthy for meditation, is appropriate for meditation, and so, and in a way that actually brings enjoyment and delight. It brings us delight to sit down and engage in this activity. This is great. Even when it's difficult, I really want to do this. And sometimes it can really feel like play. Meditation sometimes can be actually a lot of fun. Uh, you know, for example, there's the... There's the oh, I won't tell you. <laughs> and, uh, everybody, everybody has the, develops their own little idiosyncratic ways of meditating. And, you know, and so I won't tell you mine. Oh, you can do your own. <laughs> oh? Should I tell you? <laughs> well, then I'll never live it down. But there's, um, for a while, I used to do this like a pinball approach to meditation. You know, like where you kind of, you know, you do this mental note, you note, you kind of notice what's going on, you know, the sound. This, imagine I was playing pinballs, you know, and like. <laughs> And that was fun. And it kept me very engaged and helped me get concentrated. And, you know, and then at some point I had to let go of that because it got in the way, that kind of 
that kind of activity. But meditation can be fun in many different ways. Part of what's important with effort and energy is to monitor the energy and effort we're making to ensure that it's the appropriate kind of effort given the overall ecology of where we are at that moment. There's kind of like a whole ecology of mind and body that's going on. And um, and it has to be, the energy has to match that or be a match for that. So there are times where energy needs to, uh, the effort and the energy is very strong and very powerful. And other times the energy needs to be very relaxed and loose, maybe almost feeling like no energy at all. I think for people who live stressed out lives, uh, it's probably best, sometimes it's best not to make too much effort. Maybe sometimes it's better to make no effort at all and just sit back and just relax. Um, in my own meditation practice, I find it's very helpful for me to make mostly a non-effort in the beginning of a meditation session. Just kind of just be there, practice just being, letting go and letting go of the tendency of the mind to wander and just not doing it, just sitting there being very relaxed and almost not making any effort at all and letting uh, the, the tensions and the distractions of the day kind of settle on their own. Just let things settle on their own. Don't engage with it. Don't try to do anything. Just, just try to be very kind of still. And then at some point, um, uh, after I've gotten quiet and calm enough, then there's a different kind of effort and energy that's made. And uh, sometimes it can be quite strong. Uh, sometimes it can be quite steady. Sometimes it can be quite sweet. Um, but the, it is to monitor the energy we're, we're, or the effort we're making. So it's not too tight, not too pushing or too hard, but also not too complacent, not too loose. One of the... Um, one of the um, traps of uh, certain kinds of meditation practices that focus on radical acceptance of the present moment or just being or um, uh, like shikantaza or things like that is um, complacency. Just kind of like everything's okay just the way it is. I'll just sit here. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> you know, and it's fine to sleep. You know, it's wonderful, but uh, it's not really meditation practice. And so, so that kind of complacent effort and energy is not very useful. And so, you don't want to have an effort that's too complacent. You don't have an effort that's too tight or too pushing. And what actually happens in practice is often a balancing, a finding the way, kind of trying a little bit of trying a little bit harder. And it's fun. Oh, that was a little bit too much. I've tried too hard now. I need to back up. Oh, now I backed up too much. Let me a little. It's like a pendulum that swings. And you'll never actually, or very seldom, get to a place where you feel like, you know, right in the middle. Because if you, if you and the environment never changed, then maybe you could find the middle after a while. But actually, you're always changing. And the situation's always changing. And so the effort and energy that's needed is in harmony with the overall ecology of the situation. So it's always going to be this little bit of kind of swinging back and forth. Sometimes the swings are really big. And sometimes you make big mistakes in meditation practice. And, uh, you know, I've gotten headaches sometimes from making the wrong kind of effort. Or sometimes I spend a long period of time sleeping. Yeah, you know, uh, when I was at Zen Center, there was a period where I just slept and slept and slept, um, uh, bobbing back and forth. And I still bob but uh, not as much as I did. And um, so effort, energy, is a hard thing to talk about, even though 
I've gone on and on now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope that I've kind of aroused some interest in you at least to investigate, to study it, to engage in it, to think about it more seriously, to look and appreciate its role and its place in your spiritual practice. And uh, I did add one more thing I want to say. One of the ways that this, this uh, the word virya is sometimes translated into English is as persistence. And one of, the, one of the keys of making energy in a spiritual life is to practice persistence, continuity, regularity. Re- regularity, persistence, constancy of practice is what tends to bring the greatest fruit over time, no matter what the practice is. Um, if you, and the analogy that's used in the tradition is if you want to, this, you know, it's an ancient uh, tradition, is if you want to um, uh, make fire by rubbing sticks together, you don't uh, rub the sticks together for a couple of minutes and then go get tea and then come back and pick it up and rub it for another minute and then go pee and then put them down and then go take a nap and come back, you know. You know, it just doesn't work. You don't build, enough he- build up enough, enough heat to get the spark. Um, so you have to kind of be persistent and constant, keep going. So same thing with... Um, this, uh, this inner energy, this inner, inner fire, that you need to kind of um, have a constancy and persistence in the effort that you make. And sometimes that makes, uh, it means persistence over a period of meditation. If you sit for 40 minutes, that you just kind of make, be really persistent in that 40 minutes or on retreat. And people who practice uh, on a daily basis, it's really helpful to have regularity. That persistence takes the form, I sit every day. Every morning or every day I sit. And that regularity, has a, over time, is very, very supportive of the overall energy and effort and development of a good, good uh, quality of it for our, the well-being of our meditative life.